We are going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. And so if you guys want to turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and I will read for us before Aaron comes up to speak. So if you guys want to stand with me and read from uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through the end of the chapter, verse 31. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming." He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, in this passage, we see uh, the Trinity at work. We see God the Father uh, sending the Son. We see the Son loving his disciples and going away, and that going away in this context is by way of the cross, his death. But you will return. But in the meantime, you send us your spirit so that we may know you and understand you and and follow you. And so, Lord, as we uh, come to this text today, there are a lot of promises in here for us that were made to the disciples some 2,000 years ago in a little room in Jerusalem. And Lord, we thank you for these promises. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit that you are continuing to use um, your people as ambassadors filled by your spirit, empowered by your spirit, informed by your word to go out and make disciples. And so we want to pray for James Larrabee and a, a church, a part of the Crossway Chapel Network they're a part of in New York. And we want to pray for them as they are planning a church in upstate New York. A hard ground, difficult ground, uh, a dark place that needs your uh, light so desperately. So we pray that you would give James and, and his uh, people that he's leading, uh, again, the passion of the Spirit of God for your truth and your gospel and for uh, one another, as well as for those that do not know Jesus. May you give them a boldness. May you give them a, a faith that stands firm in the face of adversity. 
And may you give them a, a love uh, that surpasses and shines in that community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. All right. Is there, is there a game today? Does anyone know if there's a game today? I think there's like one person in this whole place that cares that there's a game today, right? Joe Crawford. You want to stand up, Joe Crawford? Joe, you care, right? You care, right, Joe? Except he cares because he's rooting for the wrong team. That's another issue. Rooting for them patriots. I'm just a Steeler fan. You can tell I'm a little bitter still. So, uh, all right. Well, there's a game today. Hopefully you guys are taking advantage of that and getting together with some individuals, uh, some friends that know Jesus, some friends that don't, to enjoy the game. Uh, enjoy the fellowship, but also maybe have an opportunity to, to share the gospel. We're going to be in Jan, uh, John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31, um, entitled the message, Promises, Promises, um, because we'll see that this is what this whole passage is about. It's about Jesus making promises. In fact, he makes about 19 promises in these 15 or so verses. And we could have had a Puritan sermon and have 19 points, but I'm only going to cover four of them today. But I want you guys to really uh, digest this passage as we go away, because there's so much more that you guys can learn and understand and meditate than what we're going to talk about. I just want to give you some, uh, a grid, some moorings to, to use as you go through this passage. But one of my joys as a pastor, especially for my wife and I, is we get to do what's called premarital counseling, right? Uh, I've done many of uh, the people in here that have gotten married. We have a lot of young couples over the past seven years in this church that have gotten married, and we get together with them, and, and we get to engage them um, with questions about uh, their life, uh, their relationship, what marriage entails, what to expect, and give them some principles that Rita and I have learned over the last uh, 28 years that we've been together. Um, and we do this before, obviously, they make vows to one another, before friends, family, and to God. And, and one of the questions in there is a, is a two-part question. We talk about expectations, and we talk about promises. Uh, two very different things, although expectations can flow and become promises. Uh, just for anyone, um, people come into marriage with, with different expectations. Uh, they both have maybe, you know, say they're 25 years old. They both have run life for 25 years, and, and, the, and they're just responsible for their own lives and their own family, and their own circumstances with their own brothers and sisters. And so they've seen the way things have been done. They've seen the way husbands, their dad love their moms, and their moms love their dads, etc., how they interact. So they come into marriage with, well, that's the way my spouse should act with me. But they never express those expectations so they can cause some turmoil because the husband's getting mad at the wife because she's supposed to be doing something that she doesn't know that she's supposed to be doing. So we talk about expectations and then also promises. So expectations are things that might or might not get met. So like on a, on a big, grand scale of an expectation, you know, um, the spouses, the, 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 those engaged might say, well, I expect you to be faithful. Okay, that expectation, I think they would all say is a great expectation, and that will flow into a promise. Well, I will do that for you. I promise that I will be faithful to you as long as I live. So that's an expectation. But then there's some everyday, mundane kind of expectations that might or might not happen. And we've had a number of, of interesting ones, to say the least. Um, um, one was such as this. Uh, after 9 p.m., I expect that we will never have any major, intense conversations. 
because I'm spent after 9 p.m. Nothing good gets done after 9 p.m. That was his expectation. So he talked about that to his wife, and his wife was like, yeah, that's cool. I can do that, you know. I don't have to talk, you know, um, after 9 p.m. Sure, okay. Another one was, um, this one was an interesting one. Um, we had a gentleman, he says, well, you know, my, my, my bed is right next to um, my, uh, the backyard. I have a door to go back, so about five steps. And, and so in the middle of the night, I expect that you would let me just walk out my back door and go to the bathroom rather than take the, the, the 40 steps to the, the, to the bathroom to go. I'm just going to go right outside. And at first, we were all laughing, like, ah, oh, you're a funny guy, right? And the spouse was laughing. Uh, the, the lady was engaged, and, and, and he's like, no, I'm serious. And um, we were just, like, taken aback. We were like, that expectation will not be met. You will not be able just to walk five steps go to the bathroom, right? So anyways, those are some things. And then you have the second aspect of, of promises. Again, some of those expectations flow into promises, and promises are things that you can go to the bank with, right? Things that you commit to one another, that I will be faithful to you. I will love you through thick and thin. Um, and it can even get down to some of the mundane things of life. It's like, you know, for, for me and my wife, it's like, I will cut the grass. My wife doesn't cut the grass. I promise that I'll cut the grass. So it's those kinds of things. Well, today, this morning, we see in John 14, uh, 15 through 31, that Jesus makes promises. These are, these are things that you and I could, could take to the bank. These are things that the, 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 the apostles, the 11 men in the upper room could take to the bank. He actually makes 19, as I already mentioned, to them. And the reason why he makes these promises, the context, again, the upper room discourse, uh, the reason why is because they are worried. Their hearts are troubled, as we see in verse 27. Because Jesus, not only does he make these promises, but he keeps on saying to them, I'm going away. I'm going away. So for, for three years, I mean, they were with each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, I'm going away. And you guys can't come with me yet. So they start to freak out a little bit, as any of us would. They, they've left their whole lives behind to follow Jesus. And all of a sudden, he's going away. They thought they were going to set up his kingdom on earth now. And they would be good, sitting around his right and next, left hand to help him run his kingdom. But he says, no, I'm leaving. So they're, they're troubled. So Jesus gives them these promises to come and comfort them. You don't need to be troubled. You don't need to have fear because of these promises. And so not only does he make them again to these 11 men in the upper room, but these promises are for you and me this morning as well. They're for you and me. When we go through trials, when we have turbulent times, uh, troubles in life, we can stand on these promises just as he gave them to the apostles to stand on. And Jesus says, remember these promises, bank on them. I will keep them. So let's dive in and see what some of them are. Again, there's 19. We're not going to cover all 19. We're just going to cover uh, four of them. First, there's kind of a foundation to the promises. Jesus gives promises to a specific group of people. The promises here are not for the world. They're, they're not for the world. The, the specific promises are those who love him. Those are who the promises are for. Not the world, but those who love him. You kind of see these couplets, even though they're not necessarily couplets, but you can kind of see this throughout the passage. Let me read a couple to you. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then verse 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him nor knows him. Uh, verse 19, yet a little while the world will see him no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
Verse 22, uh, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And then Jesus says in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he'll keep his word. So you can see the two people that are Jesus talking about. The world doesn't get these promises. Those outside of Christ don't get these promises. Those who do not love Jesus don't get these promises. The ones who do love Jesus and follow him these promises are for you. So it's a very focused group of people that he was talking about. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to people who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ and love him. So we see um, that. So three times we see this phrase also in these scriptures, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now we have to be careful here because we could easily fall into a ditch, especially in our society, um, and understand what G- uh, John is saying here, what Jesus is saying here. Because it almost sounds like John is saying that the foundation of loving Jesus is keeping his commandments. That's the foundation, is keeping his commandments. And what really Jesus is saying is that's not it. First, the foundation is loving Jesus, and then when you love Jesus, the fruit of loving Jesus is keeping his commandments. And so let me unpack that a little bit for us again. So Jesus is saying that first we must love Jesus for who he is. We must love Jesus for who he is. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is King. And all the attributes that they have been learning over the last three years and his characteristics, his love, his humility, his patience, his joy, his glory, his light. He is the living water that we drink from. He is the bread of life that we eat. These are the things that we love about Jesus. This is the foundation if you love me, if you love me, Jesus, his character, and all that we've described to him then the fruit of that love produces something. And that, what it produces is our desire to obey his commands. It's our desire now to follow him. It's a, uh, most of these are in the if-then um, conditional statements. If this is true, then this will happen. So it goes like this. If anyone loves me, that's the foundation. Do you love Jesus today? That's the foundation. Do you love him for who he is? If you do, then your love will produce something, and that's obeying Jesus' commandments. So here's the point. Loving Jesus leads to obedience, not the other way around. Loving Jesus leads to obedience. So Valentine's Day is coming up, right, fellas? We all know that, right? A couple weeks. Early reminder, all right, put it on the schedule. Um, and, you know, most guys will want to get their lady, you know, some flowers, some nice roses, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is good. It's a good thing. And so what would happen if um, you come to the door and you got, you got roses and you got candy and you surprise her and you walk in and say, here, babe, these are for you. And she says, oh, man, man, they're beautiful. Man, thank you. You shouldn't have. And you say, I know I shouldn't have, but it's my duty to get them for you, right? (laughs) You might want to duck, right, because something might be, right? There's no love there. It's my duty. It's my commands. It's what I'm supposed to do. But if you go and say, same scenario, oh, man, well, I know I couldn't have, but I couldn't help myself. You're so beautiful. I I love who you are, your person, your character, your fun. It's my joy to do this for you. Do you see the difference? This is what Jesus is saying. When we see Jesus for who he is and we love him, then the natural thing is it's our joy to follow him and to keep his commandments. So that's what John uh, is saying here, that this is the group that's for. So if you're in here tonight 
today, tonight, today, today, right? And, you, and you're outside, uh, we want you to have these promises. We, we want you to come and experience who Jesus is first and foremost. Don't worry about the commandments right now. Worry about who Jesus is and see him for who he is. That he loves you, that he, he laid down his life for you. He made payment for sin that you couldn't pay. He did that for you so that you could experience his love and salvation. This is for you today. So we, that is our prayer for you. So let's keep going. What, so what does it look like to keep his commandments? Um, notice Jesus didn't say, if you love me, you will keep my moral commandments. Or if you love me, you'll keep my ethical commandments. He, he doesn't say that. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my, what? Commandments. You see, we have a natural tendency, just our human nature, to think when we hear commandments of God, we think ethical commandments, moral commandments. And that's part of the scripture, right? We think of things like flee sexual immorality or do not get drunk with wine, right? Those are the commandments that we immediately go to. But in the gospel of John, as we've been studying, those aren't the commandments he's talking about. He's not talking about those commandments. I think there might be two or so that kind of have that kind of poignancy, the moral commandments. What he is talking about are commandments such as this. When he goes to the disciples in John 1.43, he says, guys, you guys, follow me. That's the command. When he goes to the paralytic in John chapter 5, get up and walk. I've just healed you. When he, when he sees Lazarus in John chapter 11, Lazarus, come out. When we see in John chapter 12, 36, he says, believe in the light. In 14, 1, believe in God. In 15, 4, abide in me. These are the commandments that Jesus is saying. If you love me, these are the things you follow. So they're not the moral, ethical. They're the big salvation, life-giving grid in which we follow. The commandments John are focusing on are, again, big salvation, life-driving commands. When the Holy Spirit comes and shed his love abroad in your heart, you believe in him. You abide in him. You follow him. These are the commands that John and Jesus are talking about in John chapter 14. He's talking about these big salvation commands. Come to me if you are thirsty, and I will give you living water. So that's you today. Embrace that. Embrace these big salvation commands and come to Jesus. And if you've already done that, now we live in them. We follow him. We abide in him. These are the commands that Jesus is talking about that we are to keep if we love him. Secondly, we see Jesus promised to send us the Holy Spirit as the helper and teacher. Verses 16, 17, and 25, and 26. It says this in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you in you. In verse 25. These things I have spoken to you for a while while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. What a great promise that is, isn't it? Right off the bat, these 11 men are, are worried, they're troubled, there's fear in their hearts. You're going away? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm going away, but I'm sending you someone. I'm sending you a helper. The helper here means one who comes alongside one another, one who carries one along. That's the definition of a helper. 
Jesus promises them exactly what they need. They need someone to help them and teach them as they're about to take the baton and preach the gospel to the nations. When you think helper in this book, you think expert. You think loving, gracious teacher. This is who the Holy Spirit is. And he's not just the expert. I mean, he's the expert of experts because he's called the spirit of truth. In other words, he wrote the Bible. He is going to help us understand what's in this Bible so that we can live lives that will give God glory. They need a helper to navigate ministry and life. And it's the same with you and me, isn't it? Don't we need a helper? Don't we need a helper to get us through a Genesis 3 world? This world is difficult to live in. And yes, we have, you know, my spouse, Rita, helps me. My kids help me. You guys help me. We help one another. But we have the ultimate helper in the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I need help, all the help I can get. I meet with about uh, one, one of my journey groups, four other men, on, on, on Friday mornings. And, and we meet. And, and usually when I'm praying, I'm praying. When, usually when I'm, I'm preaching uh, this next week, I usually end, because um, I wanted to make it a point that men, please pray for me. I'm going to write the sermon right now. And I need the the Holy Spirit to to teach me. I need His help. Because, to be honest, every time I get up here to preach, I got a little bit of fear. I I, I got a little bit of fear. Not necessarily of you, but representing God the Father. Representing God correctly. So there's a little little fear in me, and I need the Spirit of God to, to help me. To teach me. First and foremost, his word, what I'm about to teach you guys. I am dependent on him and his help. And so I asked these guys, man, will you pray for me? I need the Holy Spirit, the one who inspired his word, to illuminate his word to me so that I can engage you with his word. And so if I ever get up here and I, and I lay a dud, you need to blame those four men for not praying enough, all right? All right, just kidding. So the Holy Spirit is, is our helper. How does he help you? Um, Again, he's the spirit of truth. In other words, he he teaches us about life. He guides us about life. He helps us in life and making decisions on life, both spiritual and in this time space. But not only does does he help us, but he's also, it says it brings stuff back to our remembrance. He teaches us, but he also brings stuff back to our remembrance. Have you ever been faced with a, a trial you're, or you're in the midst of a difficulty and you're like, man, I have no idea what to do. Then all of a sudden a scripture pops in that fits perfectly, that gives you the answer. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit teaching you. That's the Holy Spirit bringing those things that you know back into remembrance. In John chapter 2, we see this with the disciples talking about Jesus, and he says, look, destroy this temple in three days. I'm going to raise it again. And then it says, oh, the disciples remembered that once it happened. That's what the Spirit does for us. He teaches us, but he also brings stuff back into our remembrance as we walk through life. Not only that, it says, notice, it says that Jesus is going to send us another helper in verse 16. Another helper. This is awesome. You see, we just don't get one helper. We get multiple helpers. The first helper is Jesus himself, his life, his death, his teachings, his prayer, his wisdom. We get to uh, use that to help us through difficulties. But then he says, I love you. I know I'm going away, so I'm going to send you someone, 
another helper. That word another in the Greek has two, they use two different words to talk about what kind of another they're talking about. We just use one word. But the two words that they use is that another can mean another of the same kind or another of a different kind. And the word here that John uses, that Jesus uses, says, I'm going to send you another helper. Is I'm going to send you another helper of the same kind as me. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you God. This is what he's talking about. Just as you, man, he's talking to the guys, just as you've relied on me to lead you, to guide you, as the God man, I am sending you the Holy Spirit who is just like me. He is God, and he's going to dwell in your hearts to lead, guide, and direct you. Of course, now we're talking about the third person of the Trinity, and the Trinity is all over this passage, right? I mean, we see God the Father moving. We see Jesus moving. We got the Holy Spirit moving. He's leading, guiding, and directing. We have an abundance of helpers. And right here, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you one who is just like me. You know, when you were, when you were on the, the lake and the, the storm started to come and the waves started to crash and I wasn't with you, and then all of a sudden you saw me walking to you and you saw my presence when I got to you, the boat, you guys were freaking out, you were troubled. When I got there, you had peace. You had calm. You experienced me. Well, I'm going to go away, but you're going to have the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be able to experience him just like you've experienced me in the flesh and blood. That's how real he is going to be with you. You will feel and have the same experience with the Holy Spirit as you had with me. His presence in your lives. But not only that, look at next. It says, notice how long he'll be with you. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. Forever. Listen, all of us have helpers in our lives. Our, our friends, our families, our spouses, our coworkers, our classmates, our, our community and church. But none of them we can, we can count on forever. I, I mean, I, I love my wife, but she can't, she can't count on me forever. But we can count on God forever. He will always be with you. It doesn't say, as long as you've never sinned, I'll be with you. It doesn't say, as long as you don't fail me, or as long as you don't doubt me, I'll be with you. No, I will be with you forever. This has got to be one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture, that we will never be abandoned by God the Holy Spirit. And not only that, look at Jesus. He gives us some more promises. Not only does Jesus promise the Holy Spirit will never leave us, but our first helper, Jesus, will never leave us. Look at verse 18. And I will not leave you as orphans, promise. I will come to you, promise. Yet in a little while, the world will not see me no more, but you will see me, promise. Because I live, you also will live, promise. Man, we have the whole Trinity, as we will see, on our side, on our team, leading, guiding, and directing us through difficulties. And they will never, ever, ever abandon us. What a great promise. Thirdly, we see Jesus promise that he and the Father will make their home with you. Verses uh, 21 through um, 24. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Massive promise. You'll be loved by my Father, God the Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Promise. Judas, not Iscariot. Now just pause for a second. I mean, isn't that kind of funny right there? I mean, how would you like to have the name Judas, right, back in that time? I mean, even the Bible qualifies his name, right? Judas, not Iscariot. Oh, Judas. Oh, you're that. No, 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 not that guy. Not that guy, right? 
I think it's, just think it's funny, some of these notes. Uh, Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that we would manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus said in verse 23, massive promise right here. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Again, massive promise. And will come to him and make our home with him. Huge promise. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. How awesome is that right there? I mean, if I was you, I'm not you, but if I was you, I would highlight, underlight that whole section, but in particular, verse 23. I mean, there's a lot of great promises in all the Bible. That might be the best right there. That, that might be number one, that God the Father loves you and that Jesus and him, the Holy Spirit's already in you, but both of them as well also come to make their home with you. This statement talks about a very intimate relationship, fellowship. This is, is actually temple language. To be a Jewish man and a woman in, in this context and to hear that God the Father and Jesus would come dwell with you is massive. It would blow their minds what they're talking about. Why? Think about it. In the Old Testament, when um, they leave from Exodus, Moses leads them out of Exodus, where is God's presence? Where is he dwelling. He dwells in a tent, and then he dwells in this tabernacle. It's mobile, right? Till they get to Jerusalem. And then where does God dwell? Where is his presence in Jerusalem? It's at the temple, right, that Solomon built, right? And so if you want to get into God's presence, which you couldn't, but if you want, that's why they had festivals every year to come back to Jerusalem, the temple, to worship God, because that's where God's presence was on earth, was in the temple. And then sadly, in Ezekiel, I think chapter 10, God's presence leaves this earth. He leaves the temple because of the people's sin. And then all of a sudden, Jesus now says, with that background in mind, and now God is coming back. His presence is coming back to the earth. And the temple in which he is going to dwell and make his home is not in Jerusalem, but it's in you and me. It's in the people of God. Massive, massive promise. You see, what he's saying is wherever you go, God goes. He is with you, him and Jesus. He's made his home in you, never leave you, will never forsake you. I mean, how comforting is that when you're walking in the midst of a trial? The God of heaven and earth, the one who created you, who knit you in your father's womb. The verse that we heard read earlier today comes and makes his home with you. You can experience his comfort firsthand. In John 14, 2, Rich kind of covered this last week. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In the Father's house, same word, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you because I go to prepare a place for you. So one of the reasons, reasons why Jesus leaves is go to prepare a place for you in the Father's house, which is cool But this is part of the already not yet. That's not yet. We haven't got to the Father's house in in heaven yet. Jesus is preparing that place for you and me. But right now, already, God has made his home in us. And we can have a little taste of what heaven will be like when Jesus and the Father are in us. How comforting is that? That is incredible. 
It gives us a taste right now. God has moved in to your heart. See, when you're going through uh, trying times, troubled times, when there's turbulence in your life, you don't have to go to Israel for the presence of God, to the temple. You don't have to go to a tabernacle. He is right here with you in your heart right now. You are now the temple where he makes his home. What a promise. So let me, let me ask you, do you think about that? Do you understand this reality that God dwells in your hearts? Are you enjoying his fellowship with you? I'm reminded of uh, a little, uh, maybe an example of this, of, of some individuals that got this deep communion with God. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. They have a massive problem ahead of them, right? Um, they didn't bow their knee to worship um, Nebuchadnezzar, and so he's going to throw them in this fiery furnace. And I love what they say. And they just have a shadow of the communion of God that we have in the New Testament. Uh, but this is what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. How about that? So connected in this trial. They just know that God is with them and will deliver them. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. They have such a confidence in their fellowship with God the Father that they stand before a king as young men and boldly proclaim and stand on the faith that God loves them and will take care of them. And they just, they just say, hey, we trust God. We're not going to bow our knee to you. What incredible faith. What incredible communion. And that's, those, are, those are three young men in the Old Testament. Again, we have a much clearer picture of what Jesus and God are telling us and what that looks like. And so, what a great promise that is, that we have the promise of the Father and the Son dwelling in us. And then finally, fourth, we have this promise. Jesus promised us His peace in our time of trouble. Jesus promises His peace in our time of trouble. Look at verse 27 and 31, or, or 27 in particular. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, Jesus knowing that they're troubled. Hey, I'm going away. Their, their hearts are troubled. There's a little bit of fear uh, in their hearts. Jesus knowing this really just really zones in even that much more. I mean, these promises that we just talked about will speak to their need, will speak to their comfort, to, to comfort their souls. But this one in particular really gets directly to their need. He promises peace for them in the midst of this storm. And not just any peace. Notice what peace it is. Peace I leave with you. What kind of peace is it? My peace. The very peace of Jesus he gives to his disciples. He gives to you and to me. Well, what, what kind of peace is that? What, 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 I mean, what, let's, let's, let's see if we can put some substance on it. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember that scene? We're going to talk about it here in, in um, Easter when it, when it comes up. But Jesus is in the garden with his disciples. He's just about to get arrested, and he goes away to pray. 
And, and it says in, in Matthew was it 26, yeah, Matthew 26 and Mark 14 both have this account. And it says that Jesus goes away to pray, and he actually prays this prayer three times. Three times. But first it says that Jesus is greatly distressed and troubled. And he goes away, and three times he prays this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. It says that three times. He's agonizing over this. You know, and the Father doesn't answer him, but he already knows the plan because he's been sent with the plan. And so after that third time, we see a miraculous change. Jesus is, you know, it says he gets up. He brushes himself off. He's at peace with the decision in the, in the, in the way in which the Father has orchestrated and ordained his next steps. He goes to the disciples and he says, my time has come. Let's go. There's a peace to answer the call to be obedient to the path in which the Lord has given him. It is this peace that Jesus gives you and me. When he's about to take on and drink from the cup of wrath that's due for you and me, all the world's sin, he's about to drink. He's about to take that on. And that's the prayer's answer. He's, I'm good. I got this peace. Let's go. This is the kind of peace that we can have. It's an incredible peace. It's Jesus' peace. One of the, maybe the great illustrations that I've heard over the years regarding this peace is that um, we've seen like in the ocean, we all know, and we've seen like storms in the ocean, maybe even seen movies about these storms with these oceans that just get, you know, it's massive storm, these massive swells, these massive waves that just, you know, would crush an aircraft carrier or a cruise ship. I mean, it would just destroy on this power of these crazy storms that we have out in the ocean. Um, but during that time where it's chaotic on top of the surface, as you go down to, I don't know how many feet exactly it is, it is perfectly calm. There's no chaos. There's perfect peace. And so while our lives might have chaos and waves crashing on the outside, the peace that we can have in our heart can be that perfect calm because this is Jesus' peace. This is Jesus' peace that he gives us, that he himself experienced. I love what one says about this peace. He says, the peace that I experienced myself, Jesus saying, he says, he gives to you. I am the manufacturer of it, and I am the distributor, distributor of it. This is my peace, and I give it who I may. And he gives it to you and me, to those who love Jesus. What a great peace. I want you to think about your life, in particular, especially if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you might be like, man, that's my life right now. My life is what you just described. It's this massive storm. That's why I'm here. I'm here to ask for answers. Well, the answers is turn to Jesus, and you will feel his peace. His peace will come in and flood your heart, and you will experience a calm like you've never done before if you repent and trust in him. For those of us that have done that, you know exactly what I'm talking about, about that peace and about that calm when you go through myths, when you go through storms, don't you? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced his peace firsthand. As I just sit back and look at my life, I am acutely aware of times in my life and times of struggle and times of, you know, of tragedy and trouble. I am acutely aware of Jesus' peace in my life. Because I should be going bonkers with everything that's happening. 
the death of my mom on Christmas Eve, getting released from the Minnesota Twins, moving my family to a place in a weekend that I had known nobody of, leaving a great job that I had with FCA and secure and doing what I love to come and plant the crossing. In all those scenarios, there was a little intrepidation. There's a little bit of trouble. There's a little bit of turbulence. But what was also very present was the absolute peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? If you're in Christ, you know that kind of calm, that kind of peace that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4. It's an incredible promise. In the midst of chaos, we have this incredible peace. Jesus' own peace. He's the manufacturer. He is the distributor. This is the peace that you can have this morning. This is the promise that Jesus made to those disciples and to you. And finally, he says in verse 28, You heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I, in verse 29, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Another reason why Jesus gives us these promises so that he will build your faith. He will build your belief. Jesus' promises will produce something in you. They produce faith. First, saving faith, and then he grows your faith. He sanctifies you. He he gives you more and more ability to uh, become a great ambassador and to to navigate through the trials and and to help others do that as well by his spirit, by the God, the Father, and him. And when trouble comes your way, because you're standing on Christ and his promises, You can say things like this. You can attack problems like this when they come into your life. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is what you can say. In all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You'll be able to talk and speak and stand like Paul does on promises like this. Why? Because you're in Christ. And he has given you these promises to stand on. And you know if he has given you these promises to stand on, they are true. And he will deliver every single time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these promises. And again, there's 19. We just... We just scratched the surface of your goodness to us in this section. And I pray that if there's anyone in here that, again, doesn't know you, that right now would be categorized outside the world as as a lot of us were before. I pray that your spirit would just rush in like a, uh, a rushing wind. And if they would respond, they would be obedient to them now loving you by believing in you and then giving their life for you, giving their life to follow you and to abide in you. And for those of us that have, Lord, I know there's some issues in here. I know there's some people walking through some very difficult times. I would pray that today would be uh, an answer to their prayers, that they would have truth and promises to stand on, <coughs> that they would feel and they would experience you dwelling with them. And also experience the peace, your own peace that you give them. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.